And we believe that God wants to heal our vision in all of these areas. So today, we're going to take a moment and we're going to talk about God healing the vision of ourselves. How we see ourselves is very important. And I believe that God wants to help us to see ourselves the correct way, to see ourselves in a loving way. Um, when we think of the commandments that God has given to us, he said the greatest commandment is this, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think about this for just a minute, if you have a very poor view of yourself, how are you going to view other people? Did you notice it said love your neighbor as yourself? A lot of people talking about loving God and loving others, but we don't realize that one of the hindrances we have is the way that we view ourselves. For when we have a very negative self-image, when we have a very negative view of ourselves, we unknowingly sometimes project it onto other people, right? Right? You ever run into somebody, somebody you know or live with, right? And they just seem to be, be criticizing you and be on you. And, and, and maybe what they're saying is good, but maybe it's because they're feeling bad or feeling some kind of way, and they're projecting that onto you, right? I mean, sometimes when we don't think of ourselves very highly, when we don't think of ourselves in the correct way, we project that onto other people and we don't even realize it. But how can we fulfill the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves if we don't truly understand what it means to rightly love ourselves, which I believe means that we understand how God sees us, right? It's important that we understand that what, how God sees us can help us to see ourselves in a more healthy and more beneficial way for ourselves and for everyone around us, right? How many of you have heard the old phrase, love is blind, right? And how do people use love is blind? They use it when, you know, someone's in love with someone that is not so lovely, if I can say it that way, right? I mean, it's used as a phrase to say, well, love must be blind because it means that person can't see that that person maybe is ugly or something's wrong with them or something's going on that they don't like. And they're like, well, love is blind, right? Because that just means to, to the world that love just ignores, you know, everything. That love, when you're in love with someone, you don't see things as they really are. Which actually is a lie. It's actually the opposite is true. Love is not blind. Love is really true sight. Love is, love is really what helps you to see what's important in someone. It doesn't, it doesn't ignore things. What it does is it, the, the, the view of love, when someone who loves you looks at you, it can even make you more lovely. Sometimes in order to understand ourselves, we need to look at ourselves through the eyes of someone who loves us, right? Now, a few years ago, um, Dove, you know, soap, shampoo products came out with this commercial. And in this commercial, they had a forensic artist who would ask people to come in and describe themselves, and he would draw them. They couldn't see each other. And then there was a random person out in the waiting room that was told to get to know this person as much as they could. And then that person would come in, and he'd ask them to describe that person. And how the person saw themselves in the drawing was very different from how someone else saw them. Well, they did it again a couple years later, and, and they did it with uh, mothers and daughters. And this is just an illustration of showing how sometimes we need to see ourselves through the eyes of someone who loves us. So let's go ahead and watch that video here. She is very caring and loving, but in a, in a way that's strong. I don't think my mother thinks she's beautiful. gentleman who was in California 
asking me to describe myself in ways I've never been asked to describe myself before. My name is Gil Zamora and I'm a forensic artist. I could hear the women, but I couldn't see them. I was sitting away from the computer. And overall, your, your face shape was what? It did make me feel uncomfortable being asked to describe myself. You know, I felt it was something so personal. I feel I have a, a high forehead. Uh, Do you wear it in front of your shoulders or behind your shoulders? Well, my hair is very thin. My nose is puggish. So you said puggish? What do you mean by that? After the sketch is complete, I say thank you, and they leave. I see her always smiling. Her smile takes over her face. The features that we probably most prominently share are noses and face shape. Her skin is very soft. I look at her now and I think, it's amazing, <laughs> I'm gonna look like that when I'm older. The women didn't know that we were actually having their daughters describe them. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? It's a wonderful illustration of how sometimes we view ourselves more critically, more harshly, but someone who loves us sees all of the beauty in us. It's not that love is blind, it's that love is true-sighted, and we need to see ourselves through the eyes of someone who loves us. Well, the one who loves us the most, of course, is God. God loves us more than anyone. And the verse that I chose, the passage of Scripture that I chose to talk about this today is Psalm 139 that Jennifer read for us just a few moments ago. And it says that we are marvelously made by God. And so we're going to use Psalm 139 uh, this morning. And I had it read from the message because I wanted the words to come alive a little bit to those of us who know it so well, to kind of jump off the page and grab our attention, to understand some principles about God and how God views us and how God feels towards us so that we can use those things to build a healthy self-image. A healthy self-image is one that is built by what God says about us and by looking at what the Word of God says says about us. So today we're going to talk about how we're marvelously made in the image of God. You see, we're all made in God's image from the very beginning. 
and, and in the beginning, there was perfection. You know, it's almost like the way a mother looks at a newborn child, right? You, you just, you're in love, right? You're in love with that child. Uh, fathers that look at their children, right? And you see everything that's beautiful about them. And, and you think that it's perfection. Of course, it's not. But it feels like as close to perfection as you get, right? But you know that that baby's still going to grow. And, and we were made in the image of God. And God, when he looks at us, he sees us with that kind of love that a parent has for their child uh, because he's created us, right? He's made us to be in his image more than anything else in all of creation. Nothing else that's been created in the universe is made in the unique image of God as we are. But something happened along the way to heaven, right? Something happened in the Garden of Eden, and it's called sin. And sin came into the world through the temptation of the devil in the form of a serpent. And he began to tell lies to Adam and Eve. And they listened to those lies, and they chose to go against the one who loved them. And so the image of God was marred by shame. There was shame. There was sin. Sin is like a disease. It's a corruption. It's a distortion of the image of God that is within us. But even though the image of God in us is distorted, it is not destroyed. Let me say that again. Even though the image of God in us is distorted, it is not destroyed. Even though sin seeks to corrupt, there is a work of God that seeks to recreate us into the image that God has placed in us. And that image, friends, is still there. It is not completely destroyed. It has not gone away. It is still there as corrupted or distorted or disfigured or diseased as it may be. So God's plan was to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to forgive us of our sins. And by forgiving us of our sins, it says that Jesus came to literally take away the sins of the world. And that's why when we talk about the forgiveness of Jesus, we use words like it's a healing of us. It's a cleansing of us. It's a washing. It's a purification. It's a refining. It's a, it's a renovating. It's a restoration of the image of God within us. God cleans us, and he works on us, and he removes all of that sin, and he removes everything in us that distorts his image, and he removes all of the pain and all of the evil and all of the negativity and all of the dark. And as his light shines on us, we are being restored to the full image that God has created us to be. Friends, that's why at Hartford City Church, we chose this vision statement from the very beginning. Actually, I chose it, and you all agreed to go along with it. Amen. Our vision is to participate in and experience God's beautiful restoration. We believe that that is the work of God, that the work of salvation, the point of forgiveness, right, it's not just so that we punch a free ticket to heaven when we die, but it's rather that we who are God's children, who were created to be God's children, but were separated because of sin, that we might be restored. And in that process of being restored, we're being renovated and we're being renewed into the image of God himself. It's a beautiful thing. And when God says you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Amen? Right? They say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We've heard that phrase, right? Well, let me tell you this. You are in God's eyes this morning. Therefore, God says you are beautiful. So let's look at some principles for building this godly self-image from Psalm 139. Look at, I want to look at three things in the passage today that show us who we are in the sight of God. The first one is that God designed you. That God designed you. And let me read again just that section. And it's from Psalm 139, uh, verses 13 to 16. And I'm going to read it again from the message. The psalmist, the songwriter, says to God, Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside and out. You formed me in my mother's womb. 
I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. You see, the fact that God designed us tells us that God put together every single part of us, every detail of us, everything about your body and your soul was designed by God, who is a master designer, who is a master artist. God is like a painter that painted you, and he put together every single part of who you are, every single curve, every single shape, everything about your physical appearance was designed and created by God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I know this isn't so spiritual, but when I was preparing this, it made me think of that song by Sam Hunt, Body Like a Back Road. I know every curve like the back of my head. I, I know you guys know that song. You've heard it on the radio, right? But it speaks about an intimacy when you love someone that you know every curve, you know everything about their shape, right? But, but that shows that God has this intimate love for us, right? Because he designed us, he put us together. Think about everything about your physical body you did not choose, right? God chose your eye color. God chose how big your feet were going to be. God chose your skin color. God chose, you know, how tall you were going to be. God chose the parents you were born to. Your genetic code was written by God. You were designed. And, and yes, of course, there's things we can do to improve ourselves. But we must begin with the base point that the way you're shaped from the color of your eyes to the size of your toes was designed by God. And when God designs and creates something, he creates a masterpiece, friends. It's, it used to be said, God, don't create no junk, right? God created you to be a masterpiece. God created you to be beautiful in his sight. And you don't know how beautiful you are until you can look at yourself through the eyes of God who loves you more than anyone else in the world. For God designed you bit by bit. He sculpted you. He put you together, right? And God's design is beautiful. Every single one of you is beautiful this morning. And I mean through God's eyes, right? You are beautiful. When God created you inside and out, God created you beautiful inside and out, right? But that means that your outside is beautiful to God, right? Again, people use that as kind of a way to say someone's ugly but has a nice personality. You're beautiful on the inside, right? And it's kind of a backhanded compliment. God says you are beautiful on the inside, but you're also beautiful on the outside because I have created you, amen? Turn to someone and say they're beautiful right now. I know it's going to be awkward, but tell them they're beautiful. <laughs> tell them they're beautiful. They are created in the image of God. They're beautiful. The inside, your soul. God also, God also designed you on the inside. He knows all of your ambitions. He knows all of your desires. He knows all of your hopes. God knows what makes you cry, and God knows what makes you laugh because God designed you. God designed your personality. God put together the inmost parts of you. Even from the time you were born, God crafted you. Isn't that something to think that God knows our hearts? It's a beautiful thing. God knows our hearts. He knows what's inside. He knows what our desires are. He knows what our feelings are. Right? God knows everything about us because he designed us, because he put us together. And it says in that section as well that all of the days for us were put together in a book. God has written a novel called Your Life. And he's put it together from beginning to end. And he knows the day you're born and he knows the day that you die. And he's crafting together with you a beautiful story of his beautiful love and his power and who he is. Amen. You at your best are a reflection of the beauty and majesty of God because God has created you that way. And even though sin has distorted it and marred it and caused the disease, a corruption to grow within us, God is restoring and renewing and healing us and forgiving us.
through Jesus Christ, his only son. Amen? Amen. I hope that is. Second point, God is always with you. So the first thing you need to know is that God designed you, therefore he knows everything about you. The second thing is that God is always with you. I'm going to go back up in the chapter to verses 7 through 12. The, the writer says, is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I fly on the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'll find me in a minute. You're already there waiting for me. Friends, this is a powerful thing. This is something that is just so amazing. The fact that God is always with us. You see, God not only designed you and created you, but he actually wants to spend time with you. Can you believe that? God loves you so much, created you so much, and he says, I want to be with you. And not just part of the time, but I want to be with you all of the time. I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. And, and that response should be hallelujah, right? But let's be honest, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we don't like the fact that God is always with us, <laughs> okay, right? Can I speak the truth for a moment, right? Sometimes we try to run away from God. We try to get away from God because, again, we have a distorted image. We have a distorted view of ourselves and how God feels about us. So we're operating under shame. We're operating under sin. We're operating under fear. And we don't want God, so we try to run away from God. But, friends, I want to tell you today, it's good news for you whether you realize it or not. You can't outrun God because once you're done running, he's already there waiting for you. You can't get away from him, right? You can't get away from God. As hard as you try, you can't lose him. But again, sometimes in our sinful mind, in our corrupted mind, we feel like, well, I don't know if I like that because it's kind of like going on a date with my mom, right? It's like, I don't know if I want God with me on Friday night, all right? Don't say amen because then we'll know who you are. Just keep that to yourself. I don't want God going with me on Saturday night, right? Because it feels like going on a date with your mom. It actually happened to me. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> clear, I'm sorry. My mom claimed she had to go to the grocery store, so she had to drive me to pick up my date. How embarrassing. And then drove us to the movie theater. How more embarrassing. And then the movie we picked was a cartoon for some reason. And then my mom drove us home. That girl never called me back, praise the Lord. But, uh, you know, sometimes we feel like that. It's like we don't want God with us, right? Because we're trying to do something that we want to do. It's when we're looking for our value and our worth and our affirmation from somebody or something else. That's the signal when we don't want God around. But the truth is, friends, God is with you. Young people, God is with you on your date. You better remember that. And all the dads said amen. God is with you when you go out on Friday and Saturday night. God is with you in every situation that you walk into. Friends, here's the truth you need to know about your value and worth to God is that you never have to walk into any situation alone. You never do. You never have to feel alone in this world because no matter who leaves you or who isn't with you, God is walking in right with you to each and every situation. God is always with you. That's what the psalm says. There's nowhere in all of creation that you can go to get away from the presence of God because try as you might, once you get there, you'll find God's already there. And he's been waiting for you. And you need to know whatever difficult situation, whatever hardship you're going through, whatever you have to face, whatever appointment you have to walk into, you need to know that not only God goes with you, but God is already there working on your behalf. The Bible tells us that Jesus is interceding for us to God the Father in heaven. That means Jesus is advocating. He's like your lawyer, amen? And the Holy Spirit is also described as a lawyer, as an advocate. That's where we get the word from. So you can imagine if you had to go into court and your two lawyers were Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? How much confidence would you have walking into that room, right? You do not go alone. It don't matter if nobody else shows up. I got Jesus on one side and I got the Holy Spirit on the other side. And 
I'm going in with the two best lawyers that they are, right into the courtroom, and then, oh, snap, find out the judge is Jesus' dad. Hey, we got this set, right? We got this set, right? That's how much God loves you, friends. He is always with you, and he is always working on your behalf. The third thing, God pays attention to you. God thinks about you. Oh, you got to check this out. This is amazing. It's verse 17. And when the verse was first translated, there was a little difficulty they had in trying to capture exactly what it meant. So the message says, your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful, God. I'll never comprehend them. They outnumber the stars in the sky, the sands in the sea. But I had Jennifer add two words, your thoughts about me. Because more accurately, that's what the psalmist is saying. In the NIV version, it says, your thoughts to me, O God, are precious. Which you can take a couple of ways, but you need to change that word too to a directional towards, your thoughts towards me, oh God. So anyhow, your thoughts to me, your thoughts about me are precious, God. They outnumber the stars in the sky. They're ones that I can't comprehend. What it's literally and really saying to us this morning is that God thinks about you so many times a day that you can't even count it. Is that not overwhelming? Is that not hard to understand that God loves you so much that he's thinking about you thousands of times a day? Ain't nobody thinking about you that many times except God. Ain't nobody thinking about me that many times except God, right? God is thinking about you all the time. You're on his mind. He cares about you. He knows every detail of your life. He's concerned about the details in your life, right? It says that God even knows the number of hairs that are on our head. Who cares about that detail, right? I never met nobody yet who wants to get married to somebody only when they find out how many hairs they got on their head, right? Nobody's counting into that detail. Nobody's got time for that. But God, infinite, has time to care about every single detail of your life. Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know how valuable you are? Do you know how precious you are? And some will say that that's a little too arrogant, a little too far to take all of this love personally, to say that God cares about me personally, right? Because there's billions of people in the world. But I want to propose to you this morning, friends, that it actually honors God to think this way because God is infinite. And God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful, and God is present everywhere. And that means God has the capacity to actually think that way about every single person on the face of the earth. That God, in fact, is the only one that has the capacity to actually love you so personally and think about you a thousand times a day and design every detail of your feature, and he can do it across for billions of people. Because only he has the capacity to do that. He has unlimited love, right? And he has an endless capacity to show that. So when you actually today walk out of her thinking, thinking, God loves me. God designed me to, down to every detail. God is with me in every situation that I go. And God is thinking about me all of the time and working on my behalf. You're actually worshiping God. You're worshiping God. That a God can do that, not only for you, but for the people sitting next to you and every single person on the face of this earth. For you see, when we don't accept our acceptance, when we don't believe what God's word is saying about you this morning, when we deny the gift, we dishonor the giver. When we deny the gift, we dishonor the giver, right? 
And Jesus says, listen, why would you deny that when Jesus and God spent so much of their endless love and energy creating you down to the last detail? When they, when they, they could be anywhere in the universe, but they're going to be with us, with all of us, everywhere that we go. God has the capacity to think about all kinds of things, from quantum physics to universes we can't imagine, down to the smallest molecules. And yet God says, I love you so much that I'm going to fill my endless mind with the details of your life. I'm going to pay attention to what's going on in your life. God is the God who sees you. It's one of the names of God. Abraham and Sarah's servant, Hagar, who became the father of Ishmael, she was the first one in the Bible to give him the name Jehovah Roy, the God who sees me. He's a God who sees me. I am not forgotten. I am not alone. I am not cast out because I know that God sees me. And friends, God is the God who sees you this morning, really sees you in every sense of that word. He sees you and he knows you. And it's an amazing thing. Well, I want to talk about two things before we spend some time in prayer meditating on this this morning. One, I think that this raises a question, and hopefully it raises a lot of questions, and I'm only going to deal with one this morning. And the question, I think, is this. If God loves me so much, if he pays attention to me, if God is constantly thinking about me, he watches over my coming and going, right? All of these verses about God, then why did I have to go through what I went through? Why did that thing happen to me or to someone else? Why was there suffering? Why is there evil in the world if God loves us so much and he's always with us? Why didn't he stop it? Why didn't God intervene in that situation? It makes me doubt that he is really all of these things that you're saying the word of God says that he is. Well, when it comes to that, I love uh, what my superintendent, Howard Burgoyne, said. When it comes to evil in the world and bad things happening to good people, God doesn't will it, but he doesn't waste it. God doesn't will it, but he doesn't waste it. God doesn't intend and bring evil and suffering into your life. God doesn't bring the horrible things that happen to people. God is not the author of evil. God is not the one who does that. But when God created us in his image, he created us with the ability to choose because it was important that we have free will, that we're not just controlled by something else, but that we can freely respond to God's love. And God is so committed to our free will that he allows people to make horrible, terrible decisions. And it really stinks and it hurts. And it's awful that other people could do horrible things to people. That horrible things can happen to us. But God says, listen, in order to establish the world the way I want it to be, I have to give people a choice. And that means sometimes they're going to choose to do really horrible things. But God says, but my promise is that I'm still with you. And after that happens, I'm not going to waste it. I didn't will it to happen to you, but I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to work it together for good. And what God calls us to, friends, is trust. We don't have to understand. We'll never understand God. The Bible says I can't comprehend the thoughts of God. I can't begin to understand the way God thinks. I mean, I get the, mo the smallest taste. What I'm telling you, friends, is overwhelming to some people that God designed you. He created you. He loved you. You're beautiful. You're a masterpiece. He's always with you. He pays attention to every detail of his life. That feels overwhelming, but, friends, that's a drop. That's a speck of what God's love really is. And so we try to understand why things happen in this world. And God says, listen, you won't understand why all of these things happen. But if you trust me, if you trust me, it won't be wasted. I'll make something good out of it. Watch me, watch me turn it around. 
Watch me turn your, your testing into a testimony. Watch me turn your tragedy into a victory. Watch me do what someone else intended for evil. I'll turn it around and make it good because I'm that kind of God and I can do that. Friends, we won't understand, but we can trust. We can trust. We can say, God, I will trust. God doesn't will it, but he doesn't waste it. One question. One application. I think there are many ways we can apply this today. But here's one that came to me. When we're thinking about who speaks into our life, right? Who can say things to us. I thought about these three things in relationship to our relations with other people. Trust those who know you the best, are with you the most, and pay attention to your life. So the three things I said about God, right? That God knows us better than anyone. God is with us all of the time. God pays attention to our life. I thought about that's the kind of person you can trust, right? That's the kind of person you can listen to what they say about you, right? If you're going to let someone else speak into you, and we need people to speak into us, right? You remember I talked about finding mentors, you know, and finding people that, that you can follow their advice, right? And, and you're beginning to understand that these sermons, they don't stand separately. They begin to layer and intersect together. How, who can you trust? You can trust the people that know you the best, right? The people, that, because that's what real love is. The people who are with you. If someone's not really with you, don't, don't give their voice as much power and authority in your life. Or someone who pays attention to the details of your life. Think about that. I, mean, I'm gonna, I want us all to do that. I'm thinking that's what I want to do. In this year, 2020, I want to let the people who want to give me advice or correction or even encouragement or compliments be the people that know me the best, the people that are with me the most, and the people that are paying attention to what's going on in my life. Because then I have more confidence that they know what they're talking about. Even compliments, even encouragement, right? We, we can just, don't just accept those from anybody because anybody can just say nice things and be blowing smoke, you know, right? It doesn't really mean anything and you don't know where they're coming from, right? And then on the flip side, why would you take criticism or encouragement from someone who doesn't know you at all, someone who's never with you, and someone who doesn't know anything about your life? What if 2020 was the year we just kind of, to those that we let input into us, those we let speak into who we are, those who will be building blocks by their words of our own identity and worth, what if we just focused on the people that knew us the best, that were with us the most, and that were paying attention to our lives? And of course, friends, the one who does that infinitely better than anyone else is God. So the voice that you should give, the primary place in your life, is the voice of God. Amen? It's the voice of God, the voice of God, because he knows you even better than you know yourself. He's with you everywhere that you go in every part of you, and God is paying attention to all of the details of your life. God sees you, so give God the primary voice in your life. It's out of that knowledge, that knowledge that's built that this is how God views me. This is how God sees me. I am wonderfully and marvelously made by God, and I belong to him, and I'm beloved by him. Then you can get to this place where you ask this question that comes at the end of the psalm. Why do you think it was at the end of the psalm? It was there for a reason. Because you need to know and experience and bring into your life how much God loves you and who he thinks you are. Then you can ask this question, investigate my life, oh God. Search me, oh God. Find out everything about me. Know my heart. Cross-examine and test me. Give me a clear picture of what I'm all about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and guide me on the road to eternal life. Who's going to give you correction? 
who's going to give you, who's going to say, hey, you need to adjust here. You need to stop this. You need to change this. Friends, the one who loves you the most, the one who created you and designed you, the one who was actually with you when you messed up and did that thing, the one who was paying attention to not only what was going on out here, but he also pays attention to what's going on in here, and he pays attention to what's going on in here. Let him speak into your life. Let him advise you. Let him guide you. Let him correct you. Amen? That's the prayer we can get to. Only when we know how much we're loved by God and that we belong to him. If you can believe everything else that I've said, then you can get to this. And then there can be some real transformation and some real change in your life. And also, a secondary practical application is be very careful who you let speak into your life outside of God. And I think that you can trust the people that know you the most, that are with you the most, and that are paying attention and really see you. And God has given you those people so that you can trust them and he can speak through them. 